0: You're listening to The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Delving into
1: current events to
0: uncover uncover relevant wisdom.
1: This is the Charlie Harari Show
2: with Charlie Harari
1: on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. What an incredible week. Hope everyone's doing well. Hope everyone has had a great, productive, amazing week. And there is so much going on in the world, so much that we can learn from, and I hope that we get a couple minutes today to do so on this show. That's what the show's about. Looking around what's going on in the world and seeing if we can draw a lesson from it to make our lives better today. And there's something that has been on my head this week looking at the events of last week and the implications into this week that has really stuck out in my mind. Of course, there is, I think, nothing more Shocking, if I can use that word, or sad, than what's happened to the Donald Trump campaign after Mr. Khan, uh, I think his name is Kazir Khan, spoke um, and basically put it to Donald Trump at the national, um, at the at the Democratic National Conference. And for those who who aren't following what's going on at the DNC convention, um, a Individual named I think Kazir Khan, who had lost his son in the Iraqi war, got up to speak and basically destroyed Donald Trump, pulled out a constitution from his pocket, and called him basically insensitive on American lacing 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 into him. Now this, in my opinion, was a absolute and utter embarrassment. I think the The Democrats that put him up to this politicized his son's death. I cannot believe that when people watched him speak, they weren't thinking, your son died in the Iraqi war and now some Democratic hack came to your home and convinced you to get up in public and use your son's death to get them elected to president. And we'll write this speech for you and as soon as i saw it i was like oh my god how horrible i mean how horrible is it for those parents to have to get up and say those things after they lost their son i mean this is po- i mean this is politics at its worst taking the death of an american soldier and then putting it as a speech at their con- at their national conference and this is just it, it just is what it is and so he puts it to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump basically takes the bait, and drinks the poison, and is dying a slow death right now. And it reminded me of something that I learned years ago. And as soon as this happened, it, it was like literally in my face. I was in my first year of law school, my third year of law school, and I was so curious as to what they were learning in the business school that I convinced the registrar at law school to allow me to take credits in the business school that'll count for my law school degree so they bought in which was awesome and in my first semester of my third year my last year of law school I spent time taking courses in the business school and I'll never forget I took a course called managerial decision making with this great professor and what could be a better course than taking a course in Columbia Business School on how to be a better manager, right? I think to myself like, that's real value. Like, oh my gosh. So I get the class and he hands out a survey that all the students had to fill out. And the survey was, you know, you've got two options or three options. Do you buy this at this price or this at this price or that at that price? And everybody sort of fills out what they think and they give it in. Then he gives out another fact pattern and you have to read it and basically what he says is you're the head of this and you're the head of that and you're in charge of this program and you were given this much money in a budget and you invested in this different product and the product is two years in and you got a review coming up it basically creates a scenario where you're coming at a decision being an executive being someone who's already invested in it being someone that has to present in front of a board and then he asks three questions do you buy the product at this price, at that price, or at this price? And we all fill it in and we give it in. And he takes all this information and he teaches his first class. And he comes in, in the second class and he puts on the board, I'll never forget, there were two graphs. And one graph showed how many students made those choices when you got the first paper. And The second graph showed how many students got these choices after you read that fact pattern and had to pretend that you were the executive. And he showed that in the three choices, one choice was clearly the better choice. Clearly the better choice to make. And most of the class got it. But when you read the fact pattern, you had to to do that choice again. And you had to be that executive who made all these moves, who had to present in front of the board. Most people didn't make the right choice. They actually chose the wrong choices. And he showed us in front of our all of us that our decision making ability is skewed. It's not clear. What we are trying to do many times is justify our earlier decisions. That's what it is. When you have no earlier decisions in that first, first fact pattern, it was clear the choice was A. But as soon as you had to pretend that you were the executive that invested in this product and you had to show that you made a good move and you had to present in front of the board, then all of a sudden people started to move away from the right choice and make some of the wrong choices. And he explained how in, in, the, in, the, in the economy today, most of the wrong choices that are being made are being made by people that are trying to justify earlier moves. Because, he said... You have to know when to hold, and you have to know when to fold. It's easy to hold on to a decent hand. Anyone who's ever played Texas Hold'em poker, you know this, right? It's when you get a hand, you want more than even if it's the worst hand that you can get. You want so badly to hold on through the rounds to see if maybe there's some kind of like dream, you know, sort of dream cards in front of you that can somehow connect these cards and make them a great hand. As soon as you do anything, you want to be right. You want people to look and go, wow, that was a great decision. You want to justify your own earlier decisions, right? Holding things as long as you can is human nature. That's why we have similar positions that we had 20 years ago. That's why we have similar fights with our spouses and children and family members. That's why we haven't really grown in life because we like being right. We like taking a stand and holding it. We're invested in it. When you're pretending that you're the CEO in the fact pattern and you've made an investment in this product and you've got to come from the board, you like to be able to say, this is the right decision. Let's buy more of this versus like that fact pattern said, this is the wrong decision. We made the wrong move. Let's buy more of a different product for our organization. Knowing when to hold... Is one thing. But the greatest decision makers know and default. The greatest decision makers know, I made the wrong move. I got to bow out of this fight. I got to say sorry. Or I got to turn around and say, I'm out of this one. I'm sitting out this round. The best poker players, if you've ever watched poker, and I've spent my time obsessed over Texas Hold'em, which is a whole nother discussion how that happened, and I used to watch poker. Texas Hold'em on ESPN for hours at some times and I would watch these professional players fold, 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 fold fold. because the best players know there's going to be times where you get a good hand and there are times when you get a bad hand when you get a bad hand the best thing you can do is fold out the best managers knows there's going to be decisions that make sense for the company and decisions that don't make sense for the company There are times where i got to go all in on the board and times when i got to fold and say, we made a wrong move. Let's cut our losses and move on. The ability to know when to fold, when to sit out, when to get out of the game, or get out of an investment, or get out of a decision, or get out of a point of view. How many times are you in an argument and the other person's talking and mid-argument you realize, oh, no, they're right. You ever have that happen to you? You're like, oh, no, they're right. What do you do? do you pull out and say, my bad, you're right. Or do you keep on fighting them, hoping to kick up enough dust to let you both draw and move on? Isn't that what it is? We hate not being the winner at every single thing that we do. This is one of the greatest human tendency flaws that we have. This is where most bad decisions come from. The inability to say i'm out i'm all, i'm lost i'm sitting this one out you're right i thought wrong i invested my time and effort into something it was the wrong investment because that takes real humility that takes us grappling with the feeling that we're not perfect and we make mistakes and we're not we don't have the golden touch and everything that we do can't turn out to be the way we want it to turn out to be, and we've got to be able to grapple with that feeling of loss, of humility to sit out, to fold, to say I was wrong. That's greatness. And that, by the way, is what separates good managers and good leaders and great leaders. So this week, we're dealing with a failure of leadership. Because your stands in front of the world and says, Donald Trump's a bigot and a racist, and his son was a gold star army veteran who died serving our country. You can't ask for a better profile. You can't. Muslim American, fight for our country, soldier. I mean, you can't ask for it. This is why the DNC... Reached out and used that family to get Hillary Clinton elected, which in itself is despicable, but that's a different story. And he challenges Donald Trump. Now, what Donald Trump should have done was bow out. Had Donald Trump said, The Khan family suffered, I am so sorry for their loss, their sacrifice is the ultimate sacrifice, God bless and save our troops. And I have nothing to say other than, I'm sorry you feel that way, and I am sure that when I'm the president of this country, your children will be protected because we're, we're not going to have these types of wars, or we're going to root out radical Islam from where it is. Had Donald Trump got on the air when he had that George Stephanopoulos interview and said, I am bowing out of this fight, I'm not going head-to-head with Kazir Khan, I'm not going head-to-head with a father of a soldier that was killed in battle. You have to be insane to draw me into that fight. If he just would have gone on and said, I am sorry for his loss, I'm sorry for his feelings, and he is correct. His, he sacrificed the greatest sacrifice, and I respect him for that. Had he just folded his cards there in that moment, the world would have been, wow, he's empathetic. Wow. He, maybe he is a, a, a leader that can understand the pain of others. Maybe he isn't a bigot. Maybe he isn't somebody that is going to just dismissively turn multiples of our people away just because of some of the comments that he said. Maybe deep down, he does really, really care, and he will be our commander-in-chief. Had he turned and said, I'm just so upset that the Democrats thought that they can take a family's suffering and politicize them, a national television the world would have been like, hey, you're right, that was despicable, what what happened when somebody walked into their home and said, we're going to give you a stage and a speech writer, go use your son's death to help Hillary get elected, can you imagine if he would have just pivoted to that, this whole news cycle would have been about them. We probably would have figured out who went to visit them, who spoke to them, who wrote this speech, whose idea was it to, to politicize the death of an American soldier. This entire news cycle would have been about that and not about Donald Trump saying, I've sacrificed. I've sacrificed because I've built big companies and they don't know what they're talking about and I feel for them, but hey listen, I am who I am and I've sacrificed and don't mess with me. Had he just been able to fold his cards. This whole election right now would be totally different. His seven-point lead would have been ten and as opposed to two, and you would have had more and more and more people shrugging their shoulders and going, I don't know. It's just getting harder and harder for us to sort of back this guy. Because i got to tell you, because I'm going to confess here, I was warming up. And you know if you've been listening to this podcast and you've been listening to the show, you've heard me, and I filled in for Buck or wherever it was, you've heard me for months and months being so against Donald Trump and I got to tell you deep down I was warming up I was warming up there's something about Hillary and what they have planned and Obama and Iran and all this terrible policy that's being put out from people that are living in la-la land drinking whatever Kool-Aid is being passed around the Oval Office right now living in a place where no one's got to pay anything and everything that is sort of the underlying foundation of this this country is being riddled away by some rhetoric of some dream person and I'm like going out of my mind scared that Hillary's going to walk in and continue this stuff and sort of march America off a cliff and I'm thinking well maybe he's not so bad he has people around him. You know, he's got advisors. Rudy Giuliani, who I loved as our mayor, being from being as a New Yorker, was behind him. Paul Ryan it seems to be okay with him. Maybe, just maybe, this can actually work. When we come back, I'm going to talk about just what was my change of heart and just how Donald Trump really, really, really missed an opportunity to take advantage of where he was in the poll this is all coming up you're listening to the charlie harari show on the blaze radio network
0: this is the charlie harari show
2: with charlie harari
1: on the blaze radio
0: network in the next 19 seconds you could sell your home
1: You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to the show. Speaking about Donald Trump and his epic failure to capitalize on an opportunity because his inability to get past himself. So Donald Trump is challenged by the Khan family who lost their son in Iraq. And as opposed to folding his cards, as opposed to folding from going out against them, bowing out of this fight he engages in the fight and he's getting killed for it and i was confessing before the break about how i was slowly warming up to donald trump It was i was feeling it you know you get that feeling of i hope he wins and it was coming mostly because of this my disenfranchisement D- this is that even a word disenfranchisement probably not i was disenfranchised that's the word i was looking for this i was disenfranchised with what's going coming out of the Democratic National Conference and the committee and Hillary and, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and all this stuff and Barack Obama and the whole crew, the whole cast of characters. And I was feeling like, you know what, deep down, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe, maybe there'll be this sense of he'll put the right people around, he'll advance an agenda that's um, more friendly to what, what I think we need to do to rebuild this country. Maybe he gets it and he'll spend more time rooting out radical Islam, which is our greatest threat right now, rebuilding our economy. You know what? I hope Donald wins. And then he does this, and I'm thinking, oh no, come on Donald, come on, you're taking on a family that lost a son in battle, you're equating you building a business to them losing a son, are you out of your mind, are you out of your mind, the news from a family that their son was killed in battle for this country? You're going toe-to-toe with that family. You're saying anything but total sympathy and empathy for the family that has fallen. Why are you engaging in this? And deep down, I think, it's because he doesn't have the humility to say they're right. Folding the cards, bowing out of the round... Making the decision that goes against your earlier decision is hard stuff. It's hard. That's why we are who we are. That's why we're still fighting with the people in our lives. That's why our life doesn't have new positions typically. Because changing our minds, because not engaging in some internal f- family spat because not making decisions that justify earlier decisions is hard stuff that's the measure of a true leader humility that's what it is the greatest leaders are humble and by the way that's why so many people have wrong with Barack Obama I don't think it's because of his well it is definitely because of his policies but it's not just because of his policies a lot of people have problems with Barack Obama. Do you know why? Because he feels and he comes across as being arrogant. He's lecturing us every time something goes wrong. He always it feels like he knows best and we just don't get it and it just drives people insane. And Donald Trump could have used this week to talk about the fact that the GDP of America has grown 1.2% in the second quarter, which is dismal. He could talk about how jobs are not working. He could talk about how the economy is in the wrong direction. He could have put the focus on these job numbers and on all the things that people are mad about and want new change for. But instead, he just can't fold them. And he's paying the price. Who knows if this is watershed or not? I don't know. I got to tell you, it's August. At this point, small little things make a big difference. You know, when you're sitting around the table, I was, you know, traveling this week. I was in Minnesota, sitting around the table talking to a bunch of friends, and they're looking more than one said, "Hey, I was for Trump, but I don't know." And I think this is it. I think this is the, the straw that broke the camel's back. If you keep on doing things that make people get more and more uncomfortable, pulling that lever for you, at some point it catches up. We come back, we're going to go further into what's going on this week, learning the lessons of just how to become better, through today's news this is charlie harari and you're listening to the charlie harari show on the blaze radio network this is the charlie harari show
1: with charlie harari on the blaze radio network the progressive movement is full of lies why do americans keep falling for the deception in his new book liars glenn beck reveals the simple answer fear
0: at our most basic level we're all afraid of something and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism
1: liars by glenn beck on sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to The Charlie Harari Show. Speaking about Donald Trump, it's amazing how much I think I talk about Donald Trump. I think he is the most, or of the most, fascinating characters that we've had in politics recently. And his rise to such popularity gives us the ability to really learn a lot about an individual who typically wouldn't be as... Prominent as he is, but for the circumstances around him. And I want to highlight in this section right now, in this segment, I want to highlight um, one thing that I saw him do that was so subtle and it was so manipulative. Like it's so manipulative and he does it so well. And I wanted to sort of bring it up to your attention because you're going to see this happen a lot in your life. But once you see it, you can really start to cut through some of the bs that's been sent your way and be able to figure out what is true and what isn't so i want to turn your attention to the interview which he gave with george Stephanopoulos, where he really went off against the cons so in the interview he opens up i think the interview fairly well and basically just sort of comes out and says they've suffered a lot and etc etc and then he starts going after them individually right and then he says the following he says And then I saw the wife, and she was just very quiet, and she was just very quiet. And, you know, she didn't look like she had a lot to say. And, you know, people have been saying things like this is like, you know, how it is. Like, I've heard a couple couple people read, I've read read a couple places that said that she had nothing to say and that she wasn't allowed to talk and et cetera, et cetera. Clearly implying that because she was Muslim, she wasn't allowed to speak in the presence of her husband. Right? That was clearly the implication that the. This goes to show you he's trying to say that i am right on islam and they are oppressing women and the reason why mrs khan was quiet on the stage of the dnc when i when when they were making when her husband was making his speech was not because that's what a wife would do when a husband is speaking uh, not cut him off in the middle of his speech on national television it's because she wasn't allowed to talk, right, that was clearly the theory that he was getting across in the middle of the interview which is absolutely and positively insane, right yes, what we're seeing in radical Islam is a complete and utter oppression of women to an extent that is just horrific it boggles my mind how many feminists in the world today do not spend more time on the oppression of women in Arab and, and Muslim countries across the world. It's horrible. You, you'll, you've never seen... This is worse than, I think, we've seen it in anywhere in 100 years. And no one even talks about it, which is a whole other discussion. But when you get up and say that a guy is speaking and his wife is next to him just watching... I mean, I mean, look at Donald Trump's wife. She spends most of the time on the trail watching, doesn't she? Like, isn't that what a spouse should do when the other spouse... Is giving a major, arguably the most important speech of their lives. So, to insinuate that the reason why she was quiet versus sort of talking over him and sharing the stage was because she was an oppressed Muslim woman versus she was just a wife, a supporting wife, is just ridiculous. So he gets he he says it, and I'm thinking to myself as he said it, I'm thinking that was so that was just ridiculous. And then he says, no, no, no I, I've read this. Lots of people are writing this. I thought to myself, why did he say that for? Why did he just say that? That was just a seemingly extraneous thing to say. And then it hit me. He was using one of the greatest tactics that you can use for idea manipulation. Let me me just sort of delve into this a little bit because this stuff I think is fascinating. What is the most important thing that exists out there today? If you would ask yourself, okay, what is something that is the most important, Or of the most important things that we have in the world, in our minds today, it wouldn't be our money, it wouldn't be even our families, it wouldn't even be our homes or jobs or careers. The most important thing that we have is our ideas. That shapes who we are. Ideas shape our lives. It shapes how we feel, it creates our emotions, it gets us through our days ideas are where everything stems from. The idea of who you are is what is driving you to do things that you're doing. That's what's getting you to look at your day and saying good day or bad day, right? The idea of the team that you're rooting for shapes how you experience a season or a game. The idea of what marriage means to you or children mean to you or a career means to you shapes what you do every moment of your life. The idea of your religion and God and his existence and his place in your life or his lack of existence in your life will shape everything with regards to your theology. So if you look at your life and you break it all down, what you see is that you are a product of your ideas. This is really important. Because once you understand that we are a product of our ideas, as opposed to trying to fix the outer layer of stuff, what we really got to do is try to fix the inner layer of stuff. So as opposed to trying to get more stuff to be happy, maybe we have to go back to the idea, to the concept of what we expect out of life. And that'll change how happy we are with life. As opposed to waiting for God to poof us a miracle to believe in him maybe we have to change the idea of what god is in the world and that may shift our relationship with him and ideas can change could build could destroy we're seeing this even today people right now are watching as america is trying their hardest to get rid of what is now the most prominent enemy to democracy and to western civilization namely isis Icelus was a small little faction of freedom fighters a few years ago, which now has become a global jihad phenomenon. And America is now pounding them and all these targets across the world. And may severely hamper their ability to be successful in terms of their military, but what they can't do, and this is what Barack Obama spoke about yesterday in his press conference, was or actually this was a few days ago, was he spoke about how the ideas that have been put through the minds of so many people are still putting us at risk. So a bunch of guys in France or in England or in Germany or unfortunately in America, or unfortunately everywhere, not just America, everywhere where there's terrorism, it's unfortunate, that get together and, God forbid, have an idea that somehow Allah likes when when they kill people could prompt them to kill people. Even if the headquarters of ISIS is being bombed by American Air Force troops, ideas can spread and ideas can shape how you see the world. Democracy, fairness, equality is an idea, right? It, it wasn't something, right? Our founding fathers didn't pull it from the ground, right? They didn't have it in their DNA. You didn't cut open their blood and you see that in the DNA is, you know, civilization or demo- democracy Democracy. it was an idea that they put forth and they put into words and they created a society around and we're living off these ideas that's all it is it's just ideas so if i want to get you to to accept an idea what do i need to do right so how do you accept ideas how do i get you to buy into my idea How do I get you to see the world from my perspective? So there's a bunch of different ways. The most important way or the most, uh, I would say, the toughest way is to prove it. I'm sitting with you today right now, and I'm giving you an idea about something, and then I got to back it up with logic, with reason, maybe with science, with philosophy, with theology, right? I got to go and say, hey, listen, maybe this is the way you should see the world. And let me show you why that is. Hey, look at, listen Listen how this works out. See, two and two and four. Oh, and this happens, that happens. Or, you know, I read it in this place. Or this person said something, right? When you're trying to get an idea across, typically you've got to be able to prove why your idea is worth it. Sometimes you're a position of authority. So you get to say stuff and people will just believe it because you say it. Right? You're sitting in front of your doctor and your doctor says, you weigh too much. Go on a diet. And be, it's just an idea, by the way, right? It's just an idea. It's a concept, how you're supposed to eat and, and how you're interacting with food. But because he's your doctor and he's looking at this cool little, you know, glossy piece of paper called an x-ray. And he's been doing this for a long time. He's got a white lab coat on it. And behind him are these fancy degrees that are all laminated and put behind mahogany sort of framing. You go, oh, that guy's really or that woman's really, really smart. And she knows about my body better than I do. Look at all these degrees that told her that, that told me that. Maybe I should listen to her because she's giving me an idea about how I need to approach food. So authority really does that. Maybe it's clergy, a minister, a priest, a rabbi, whoever gets up and says, do this, or here's an idea, or this is how you should see the world. And you go, wow, he's a man of God. He's really holy. He studies a lot of scriptures. And so when you go through life, what you'll find is that the most of the time when you're accepting ideas from people and in the world, when you're reading them in papers or in books... It's coming because someone's proving it to you or because there's a real authority figure. What if you have neither? What if no one's proving it to you and there's no authority figure? How do you get an idea across? So there's a tactic that people use. And here's how it works. It's incredible. If we are creatures of habit, we are creatures of society. We have spent a life habituating ourselves around being part of a society. And as a result, we will accept the masses as a good test for whether or not things are true, even though it's absolutely usually false, but that's how we do it. If everybody knows X, then somehow we think X is true, right? You ever like hear, heard like, um, like, a, a, a an expression in life and assume that it's true because there's an expression for it, right? Like the early bird gets the worm. You're like, oh, well then it must be, I gotta get up early because there has to, that has to be true if there's an expression that goes along with this bit of wisdom, right? We As long as there's an expression that you've heard of, you're like, oh, that. then it has to be true, no? And we think this because if the world has already accepted it enough to make an expression for it, then it must be then true, right? Because society doesn't lie. Lots of people aren't dumb, which, by the way, isn't necessarily so true. They're not dumb, but common knowledge really if you think about it is old knowledge lots of times when you think of something that everybody buys into by the time everybody's buying into something that knowledge could have been updated or revised or changed a million times over most of the common knowledge of science has been well replaced with new research but we seem to buy in and a lot of that stuff is real a lot of the wisdom that we're finding in you know old time you know sort of expressions and there's a lot of that stuff that has a lot of truth to it we have this bias in our brains that tell us that if society deems it true or society buys into it, or other people buy into it, especially people of authority, people that write things down in newspapers. Or people that speak behind podiums in universities called professors, or people with things after their let- letters after their name, like PhD, or before the name, like doctor. If there are certain people around that buy into things, then that must then be true. Because who am I, this, the logic goes, to fight to contradict so many other people? And so that's what'll happen. You will not know something. You'll walk into a room and you'll see a lot of people that will be of one opinion. And science has backed this a million times. In fact, there was a study where they would have students sit in a room, and on the board would be three lines, you know, sort of drawn three lines on a chalkboard, and they would ask everybody which line is the longest. And the third line was clearly longer than all the other than the first two. And Everyone everybody was in on it except for one person and everybody walked in and let's say you know it was a line one, two and three, and one was short and two was like mid size and three was you know, not incredibly longer, but longer, clearly longer. And they would say, Okay, what's the longest line? And the first person would say, Two and the second one was like, Of course, two, 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 two. Everybody's in on it except for like, you know, number, guy number ten, right? And three was clearly the longest line and everyone's going, Two, two, obviously, two, 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 two. and they get to him and he's like Um, And and the studies show that most of the time people go two. Even though he's looking at the board, and it's clearly three. But the ability to sort of fit into society, to not contradict others, to be able to think that common knowledge or popular knowledge or somebody else's thoughts must be true because other people are saying it is a, a human cognitive mental bias. What great manipulators do is that great manipulators know how to use this. When we come back, I'm going to tell you exactly how Donald Trump used it and why it is so important to see it, recognize it, and watch for it in your own life, in your daily day, in your daily encounters. This is Charlie Harari on The Charlie Harari Show. We'll be right back on The Blaze Radio Network. This is The
1: Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on The Blaze
2: Radio Network.
1: Buck Sexton.
0: The administration we have is terrible on foreign policy. They completely misunderstand the nature and character of our enemies. They have this uh, very blame-America-first attitude about any number of uh, historical situations that sort of still influence situations around the world today. And what have they done successfully? Buck
1: Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Delving into current events events
2: to uncover relevant wisdom.
1: This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari.
2: Welcome back to the show. Talking about the power of ideas, how it gets in, and manipulation. So let's jump in and finish this up. Um, So watch how it works. You know, ideas are the most powerful thing we have in order for us to get our ideas out to other people, right? to share our ideas, to get, get people to think the way we think, right? That level of idea. we got to figure out how to convince them of it. And the way we convince people of things is we say them and hope that they buy them, but usually you have to back it up with some fact or reason or logic, or you have to be able to be in a position of authority. But what if you're neither? So if you have no fact, reason, or logic, and you're not an authority, you're stuck. Unless you use this trick, you tap into the bias that people have, which is if everybody else knows it or if other people know it, then it must then be true. This is an actual cognitive bias tested by science again and again and again that when other people do things, we seem to follow with it. So Donald Trump's sitting at the interview and watch this play. This is just, this is just great stuff, but I need, this is just I'm not saying great as if I am respecting it. I'm saying it's fun to watch it. Donald Trump's sitting in the interview and he says the following. He says I don't know, she was very, very quiet. That wife of his she stood there so quietly and I just maybe you know, and he's insinuating that she's quiet because she's Muslim and because you're Muslim, you're not allowed to talk in front of your husbands. That's her that's his argument. Right? So it's 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 insane. Like it's such a it's such a preposterous thing to say about a woman standing next to her husband as he's giving a speech in front of millions and millions of people all over the world, right? So, and it sounds preposterous, right? Even when it comes out of his mouth, you're like, come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a real argument for how radical Islam is treating women. Like, go, there really is. Like, you can really turn the attention of... Activists towards individuals that are constantly being harassed, and I mean, right now in, in 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 ISIS's world, they're they're capturing women and using them as slaves. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. This isn't it. This makes you look dumb. This isn't it. You can't say these things. They make no sense. So he says it anyways. And then as soon as you think like, oh, that's stupid, he goes, no, 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 no. no. A lot of people have been writing about this. I've been reading a lot about this, and a lot of people have been saying it and, and writing about it. And then he moves on. And I'm thinking. Wait a second. He just used the trick of manipulation. Because when he says it, he's not in a position of authority. Like, even though he's running for president, nobody thinks that he's the authority of human behavior. He's not He's not the psychologist It's like, listen, I'm drawing on my years of research to tell you that this woman was standing next to her husband. But unlike all other spouses standing next to their spouse when they speak, looking up approvingly, this one was different because of her religious oppression. And I know this because I've studied this because I have been, I've got experience in the field. i not saying that. Right. And he's not using logical reason. He can't show 10 other times where she, she stood up and she should have said something. And he, There's no logical reason and there's no, there's no authority. So what does he have left? To get an idea across. Which is that this family was so dysfunctional. It was that when the husband got up to speak. that He, he oppressed his wife in public. What can he use? So he says. No other people are writing about it. Trust me. As if we're supposed to go. Oh. Oh there were other people writing about it. Oh in that case. If people are writing about it. Then those people must be then smart. Because they get to write stuff in public. And only smart people get to write stuff in public, right? And if other people, like not just one, but lots of other people are writing about it, I don't have to see any of these writings. It must then be, obviously, people are talking about it. It's knowledge on the street. I must not have realized it. I must have missed it online or when I was reading the Wall Street Journal or reading the, the local paper. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that that's why she was quiet, and he puts his idea in through the back door of, oh, you didn't pay attention, but everybody else everybody else knows this. This is Idea Manipulation 101. This is how, by the way, conspiracy theorists live. What they do is they just create enough dust, and they make you feel as if other people know about this too. And the minute you think other people know about something it then becomes harder in your brain to say it's not true right if some guy writes a story about something who knows what and then somebody else references that story now there's two people that are talking about something and then people on the chat are saying yeah that's true you're looking around there's a half a dozen people that seem to buy some made up nothing but you, can't, your brain can say, "Hey, wait, wait, wait! How many people buy into this? How many people in the world? What do they know?" You're, you're not doing any of that. It's too quick. Your brain is immediately collapsing into, "Oh, that? Yeah, maybe," because other people, people that have access to writing things even though today you can just use your computer and write something online and no one will check if it's true you can get behind in the old days when you had to get behind the mic and some kind of television you were vetted today you don't got to be vetted you got to stand in front of a camera and upload it to any of the million sites that you can so you can have somebody that writes and speaks and presents all on the same medium as as others who are actually researching things and they're just making stuff up And there's like a feeling around them as if there's some truth to half this stuff. But there's no truth to any of this stuff. It's just made-up stuff. And other people sort of buy into it. And then they create this sort of circle of critical mass of people that sort of buy into it. And then you come to it and go, oh, that must then be. And meanwhile, it's all just made up. And this happens all the time. You're at work. And someone says something. You're like, really? And they go, no, no, yeah, I heard that from so-and-so. And you're like, oh, okay, then. You're at home and someone's sitting at a dinner table and they come up with some ridiculous, ridiculous sort of bit of information. You're like, "Where did you get this?" Like, I don't know. What everyone's talking about it at work. Or I read that somewhere. And you're like, "Oh, really? I didn't realize that." Oh, I, who, who would have thought? I didn't know that Hillary really is an alien in, in, a, in a woman's body. I, I, I thought that like she was a little off and like she's not that charismatic. I didn't realize that you know she was the product of some you know alien invasion. Oh, cool! I, wow. Oh, other people are talking about it. Oh, amazing. And the problem when we think this way is that we think when we act this way like it's okay as long as we're against the people that we're against. But it just makes us less clear, less rational, less smart, less convincing, and more divisive and divided from other people. And worse, it creates no filter for ideas in our brains. Ideas... Knowledge is of the most important things that we have in the world. And if we just allow that an open door, if there's no gate, if there's no border control for our mind, then we are subject to whatever idea terrorists that come in. And we become, our brains become like putty. People just throw stuff in and we give no structure from which it fits. It's just thrown in sometimes right, sometimes wrong nonsense many times by the way, what I do to be honest, is I've got my own political views, you may have picked them up already by now I've got my own religious views you may have picked those up as well I've got fairly, I think you know, passionate views of things I will frequently read listen and watch people that are saying things completely contradictory to my views because I want to test to make sure I'm thinking about it correctly I want to be able to sort of think through whether or not the idea that I had is true I happen to be a firm believer in God I will frequently watch atheists I know the top atheists in the world and their arguments I watch their debates I read their stuff because I believe in my core that my belief in God gets stronger when I'm able to think through other people's thoughts. And just because somebody says something, I have to, I want to get deeper into it. I happen to wherever I stand politically, I'm on the conservative side of things. I will frequently listen to people that are on the left and hear what they're saying, because I want to get a sense to see if there's a border, so to speak, in my brain. Because I never want to get to a place where I'm just taking things because somebody that I that's in the, my sort of general sphere just says it's true without ever actually backing it up. And what Donald Trump has been doing his entire campaign better than anybody that we've ever seen, I think, in the past 20 years is he just makes stuff up. And then he makes us feel like everybody knows it already so that we just buy it. He just makes stuff up. Ted Cruz's dad is somehow involved in John F. Kennedy's assassination and all this stuff about everybody in his world. He just sort of like insinuates and makes the Jeb Bush is low. Jeb Bush is in low energy. Jeb Bush is, is a hardworking guy. He just makes it up low energy Jeb Bush. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, then he said it enough times. It must then be true. We don't need a president that has low energy. We don't we didn't even know if we we, most of us have never even met, heard uh, or have no connection to Jeb Bush to find that if he is low energy or high energy, we have no idea. We have no idea because he's not like, you know, going nuts in front of a camera. I mean, like, that's not a low energy person. There's lots of people that I know that are high energy guys that are not great in front of cameras. He'll just say it. He'll just say it. He'll throw it out there and then it just hangs out there. And then other people sort of think it's true, and then it becomes true, and the whole thing is just made up stuff. He plants things. all it's unreal. He'll just plant ideas into the media. He'll say, "Well, I, I'm not saying you know, it. I heard it from other places. I've read it a lot. I have read it from a lot of different places." And then you'll be like, "Oh, if he read it, then he's not making it up. So then it must then be true." And then it just becomes part of the normal course of information. And then you'll have you know fact checking things. You know, but who's looking at fact checking blogs? And they're like, he's making it all up. But no one's. by that point, everyone's moving on to the next headline. But not us. On either side. I mean, for sure, on the Hillary Clinton side. I mean, I forget about that. But in everywhere we look, whether it's in politics or it's in our lives or it's the family around us or whatever it is, try to be more protective of your ideas. Try to be more protective of your thinking and your thoughts. Try to be more rational. We should try to be more rational in our own opinions. If I have an opinion on something, spend, spend the time trying to figure out if that's really true. And then when you talk it over with somebody else, don't just rely on something, but really spend the time to prove it or to talk it through. And you'll find that if you do, your opinions are more powerful, you're more passionate, and they can be used as guiding lights towards good not towards not good. I'm not going to say evil, but not good. When we're using that, we can really learn a lot. This is Charlie Harari thanking you for the time, the attention, and the opportunity to talk about a couple of lessons that we're seeing in the news. We hope to do that in the future. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: It's not just about the facts.
2: It's about perspective. This is The Charlie Harari Show
1: with Charlie Harari.